Welcome to Shame the Thrones, your weekly recap podcast for um, Chris Nolan Batman movies that weren't Dark Knight of a TV show, a Game of Thrones. That's a terrible introduction, and I don't <laughs> like your energy one bit, Doug. Well, I'm a little sick. I, got, I think I got food poisoning. I have this oh, thing, really? yeah, I have this thing where I feel like my stomach's always full, and mm-hmm. I just keep burping and farting, but it's been just that, so hopefully I can hold on. Oh. All right. So wish me luck, T- guys. TMI. No, it's not. At least I don't have a headache this big like someone in this episode. Ayo! That's the kind of shit you're going to hear for an hour uh, tonight. Guys. <laughs> uh, we are here talking about um, Season 4, Episode 8, The Mountain and the Viper. Uh, this is Episode 50 for us. Can you believe it? How about that? Half a hundo. Yeah. Uh, I don't talent. think we're not going to get the hundo, apparently. <sighs> Yeah, I don't know. Uh, once again, we did the math, and I uh, forgot what the results were, but it's going to be, um, we're going to have to do some wheel spinning uh, for this July, mid-July premiere. And and when do they normally premiere? Wasn't it like March, I want to say, or maybe April at the latest? Yes, that's correct. Uh, this one took longer, and uh, I don't know why. And for less episodes, so there you go. That, yep. that makes all and the sh- sense in the world. They should be ashamed. That They should, as this podcast is called, Ashamed mm-hmm. of Thrones, I believe so. All right, so uh, overall initial impressions of this app? Uh, kind of a mixed bag, once again. Uh, some things I like, but I mean, we're just repeating the same thing every week, it seems like. But just uh, there's a lot of just junk uh, in this episode, but uh, there was some good stuff as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, obviously the battle was shocking uh, and, you know, came through even, you know, knowing what I was in for. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It just seems to be very hit or miss and like the i i, I want to say that the show invention stuff is just continues to be egregious and awful this yes. season yeah that's the case in this this one as well and uh just some characters i don't really care about uh but but we'll get to it when we get to it okay so let's see the episode <coughs> starts with a uh disgusting prostitute i mean uh working woman i guess uh burping and saying cunt a lot um, in a filthy whorehouse in a muddy shithole that turns out to be uh, Molestown, uh, the kind of settlement uh, just south of the wall where the Night's Watch men go off to break their vows by sleeping with women uh, and drinking and having a good time, uh, you know, that's prohibited by their vows. Um, the burping hooker then threatens to murder Gilly's baby for crying, uh, so that's great. So once again, this is just setting up so you don't feel bad when she gets killed, I guess. Uh, but then uh, Gilly hears a bird call, and somehow knows it means that there are wildlings coming. Uh, so I guess all the wildlings do that. You know, seems a little you know, racist to think that, you know, well, that's got to be a wildling. Uh, they come, and by come I mean they methodically slaughter every single person in the village. Um, Egret gets to murder the burping whore, which is great because we like Egret and we don't like the burping whore, I guess, because she burps and threatened to kill uh, Gilly. Anyway, Egret then is about to leave this room that she just murdered two people in, and she hears a baby cry. Uh, she goes behind a curtain and discovers Gilly hiding, um, but Egret doesn't kill him. They just politely instructs them to keep their fucking mouth shut by giving the old shush symbol. Um, so what a nice lady. Yeah, I, first I'd like to point out that in the beginning of this scene, they discuss the only two uh, songs that oh, exist yeah. in this universe. Yeah, we have to mention is, that every I, time. I wonder if this is like a joke to the writers, or... Because there's no reason they could just make up the names of other songs. Right. Like, it seems kind of lazy, but unless they think it's funny, I don't know. Yeah, let's let's name them some songs. I'm gonna name five. You gotta you gotta come up with ten. So I got the uh, the thorny bush, the dirty ale cup, <laughs> the dented helm, 
and the wandering doggy. These UCB classes are really paying off. <laughs> they <too>. are. <laughs> you know what I do is I just um, watch the YouTube clips. Yeah, go ahead. But so I, I thought it was odd that Igor didn't have her trademark cross or uh, bow and arrow. Instead, she's just running around with a, a, a spear. Yeah, I guess it but, fits the environment. You know. Yeah. It's curious to me, though, that Molestown doesn't have any defenses seemingly whatsoever. Yeah. Um, that close to the border, I don't know why they wouldn't have uh, any kind of defenses. Because I think it, it, we know that occasionally these wildlings make it over the wall. So they have to be attacked from time to time, you would think. Well, I would think that they're – the like unlike that guy who was raising horses in the middle of nowhere, they're mm-hmm. so close to Castle Black that they figure that directly – it's like line of sight. It goes wildlings in the north or the, the land beyond the wall, the wall, Castle Black, and then them. Whereas, gotcha. you know, these other jerks are east and west. I don't know. I'm just trying. Maybe I'm just forgiving it. But yeah, they're able to just take them completely, um, just overwhelm them. Um, yeah, immediately. And, yeah, and I, I just didn't really care for this scene. Um, yeah, I don't know what because, it does. Yeah, I don't. I mean, other than just to show the brutality of, of these savages from beyond the wall. Yeah, I don't which know. once, and I wrote that down too. Like, um, I guess it's effective at showing that the wildlings are a brutal threat. But at the same time, remember how we were supposed to feel conflicted about their plight? Like, uh, yeah. maybe these people should be saved. Like, they're getting killed and their dead is coming back to kill them. You know, they're being hunted by zombies up north, so uh, you feel bad for them. And in this instance, I mean, why would you give a shit about Egret even, let alone the rest of these fuckers? Yeah, exactly. It's funny how what a uh, 180 you kind of do on uh, Tormund Giantsbane as you watch the show, because obviously he's one of these pieces of garbage, just like Egret. Right, um, you know, and all of a sudden, and it's not I like the, the um, it's not like the people from Westeros are going up into the north and just slaughtering Northfolk indiscriminately, you know, right. like the the Northfolk are. So uh, it's uh, odd, odd scene, and um, also just don't care about anything with Gilly. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who cares? Who cares about Gilly? She's doesn't show besides her uh, import to a man. Which is great, uh, you know, writing that would fail the whatever is the Turing test that uh, sees if all uh, scripts are written by female robots. Um, like, it's just, she doesn't mean anything. She has no importance. In the book, she basically swaps babies with Mance Raider. So that's her yeah. import there. Here, she's just Sam's girlfriend. That's it. Yep. Yep. So next we go to Sam, and he is crying about the attack at Molestown. Uh, the, he's hanging out with John and a couple of the other uh, the crew. The uh, they're debating the assignment and whether they should chase the raiding party. Somehow they know that this has happened. I guess they maybe they then sent somebody up to tell them about it. I yeah, don't really that's, know. that's unclear. Yeah, uh, and uh, Sam cries about how he did all but send Gilly to her death. Uh, but the gang comforts him, and the gang kind of ponders the long odds. Apparently, it's a hundred men to a hundred thousand men, or some crazy odds, and uh, they are befuddled as to what will happen. Yep. Not a whole lot here. Uh, I, I do, like, hate the fact that I think one of the guys consoles Sam by saying, what if she managed to hide herself? Yeah. Why would you say the exact <laughs> thing that fucking happens? Why wouldn't you say maybe she got away? Yeah, yeah. Like, to say, maybe she hit herself. Oh, well, that's exactly what happened. Fuck you, lazy fucking riders. <laughs> lazy fucking shitholes. I hate them. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this is just an info dump. You know, they're talking about, you know, they're setting up the odds. This is just them setting up for the assault on the wall, which I guess is going to happen next week. The episode well, we already nine. knew this, and this is right. another scene where it's just kind of a throwaway. Um, it, but it, I mean, it's not thrown away in that it's tied to the prior scene, which is a throwaway. So you're getting like uh, peeling back the onion of uh, who cares right here. Yeah, I agree. Uh, mm-hmm. So moving on, 
Next, we're treated to a hot, sexy scene with slave bodies bathing in the river. A bunch of shredded dudes on one side of the river are bathing, while a bunch of young, hot, fuckable women are doing laundry on the other. Jesus. <laughs> uh, Grey Worm, who doesn't have any sexual organs, gives a dead-eye, you know, stare at Naked Miss Sandy as she's washing stuff, I guess. And it's the creepiest, rapiest, psychopath stare you've ever seen in your life. Uh, but guess what? Miss Sandy's kind of into it. She stands up, I guess, presenting to him. I don't know. Uh, before getting a little shy and then eventually covering up like a bashful child, uh, which is kind of gross too. Uh, later, uh, it's gossip girl time with uh, Miss Sandy and Danny as uh, Danny is braiding Miss Sandy's hair. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Danny asks if the Unsullies have, quote, their dipsticks and their fuzzberries removed. And Miss Sandy says she doesn't know <laughs> if that's a direct quote. She says she doesn't know, but she's going to find out. Um, later, she's just hanging out in the throne room for whatever reason, and Grey Worm finds her uh, and wants to apologize for being a total creep. She says, nah, it's cool. Uh, says that she feels bad that he was castrated, and he's like, why? I don't feel bad. Uh, if I wasn't castrated, I would have never met you. And I'm like, well, what if you could have had both? Use your imagination, <laughs> guy. Uh, exactly. He goes to leave, and she stops him and says, not only is it okay that uh, she saw him naked, she's actually glad. And he responds with, I'm glad I saw your boobies too. Yeah, this is typically how things go with peepers, is my understanting. <laughs> with um, peepers? Yeah, this this is another scene, just kind of uh, start of another boring subplot. I don't really care about. Yeah, inconsequential. Uh, I would say to the greater plot, and uh, you know, I guess it's kind of. I guess they have to insert uh, maybe romance in every uh, venue. Maybe I don't know. I mean, obviously, we don't have much at the wall. We do have actually we have Sam and Gilly at the wall, so. Maybe yeah. there has to be, there's like, a, you know, these executives are just very cynical people and they're like, we have to have a romance uh, in any every one of these major um, locations. I don't know. I'm just making that up. Was there a romantic uh, relationship between these two in the books? Do you recall? I don't recall because it's that okay. inconsequential. Yeah. It but actually no, actually, is. Um, I, I, I think she's brothers with either Grey Worm or another one of the Unsullied because her brother definitely gets killed. He was taken, they were both taken as uh, slaves. When they were mm-hmm. children, and one of them became the Sandy, the translator. The other one became a uh, unsullied. She might have a second one. I don't know if she's related to Grey Worm, but I don't. If this exists in the book, um, it's not important. So, guys, write into ashamedofthrones.com. Um, you can't do that. So, I guess ashamedofthrones at gmail.com and uh, let us know how bad we fucked yeah. up. Also, thought it was odd the, um, the, 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 the manner of castration is like a trade secret or something. I don't know how everybody wouldn't know. I think in the books, the actual method of castration, whether it was just the, would you would you call it the fuzzballs and the pillar or whatever? Yeah, the dipstick and the uh, fuzzballs. Yeah. Fuzzberries. No, flawless, uh, flawless description. Yep. Um, they, it depends on the slaver uh, where the, and I don't remember which one is which, but one only takes the, the, the fuzzballs and the other takes the whole kit and caboodle. So I don't know why that, that that was a point in the show. Yeah, well, she's like, well, maybe I can fit a ball up in there. I don't like. What does it matter? Like, I, yeah, it's, like, yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe he's now, still, I don't know. It's it's I'm just weird. to become more disappointed with this episode that we talk about. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, pretty fucking ridiculous. Yeah. All right. So next we have uh, Ramsey preparing Theon for a mission uh, with a little pep talk. Uh, Theon's mission, should he choose to accept it, is to pretend to be Theon. Or actually, Reek's mission. Uh, Reek is apparently able to is there to obtain Moat Kalen. Uh, we see Theon on a horse, and he makes his approach to Moat Kalen. Uh, the ruse works, and he is able to enter. Uh, it looks pretty bad uh, inside. Everyone's sick. There's dead horses on the ground, uh, and apparently the commanding officer is in pretty bad shape. I think his name was Kenny. Uh, Theon meets with Kenny, who uh, 
is initially skeptical of Theon, but I guess Theon convinces him that he is actually Theon Greyjoy. Um, Theon explains he is a captive and makes an offer of surrender and you will all be treated nicely. Kenny spits blood in Theon's face and tells him that uh, only a punk would surrender. Theon begins cracking under the pressure, but uh, thankfully one of Kenny's men kills him and then asks if they will live if they agree to surrender. And there is a disgusting transition to that same person as a flayed man. And I'm very glad I was not eating barbecue while watching this scene. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Some kind of sticky uh, Kansas City <coughs> stuff. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I have a, I mean, this is kind of like it is in the books. Uh, I think it's stupid to kill somebody with an axe on the top of the head. I mean, it's just, it seems like it's just trying to be a shocking death when, like, nobody yeah. can't just die from just being stabbed in the back. That's fine. I don't know how it is in the books, but it just seems like over the top. Everybody has to get like. Remember what's the guy from uh, the bullshit um, Craster's Creep uh, sideline plot that we had? Carl. Hot the, Carl. Yeah, yeah, Hot Carl from Gin Alley. He gets stabbed in the back of the head and it comes out of his mouth. It's a little yeah. ridiculous. I know that happens to another character, but it's just it, they use it a lot. Um, yeah, and then otherwise, uh, I wish they would have linked how important Moat Kalen is to Roos getting his yeah. army further north, and they kind of allude to it later. But it's kind of quickly swept under the rug, uh, and it's given this whole scene where uh, you know Ramsey talks to Roos on the the hills and tells him about the North. We'll get there, but um, so you know, why don't you explain the importance of Mo Kalen? Okay, so basically the North divides the South, and it meets in a swampy terrain in a bottleneck. Um, so yeah, you can take boats around uh, this bottleneck, but it's just a swampy area where Mira and Jojen Reed make their kingdom. The swamp people. And in the book, they are harassing the fucking... Um, uh, I don't think they're called the swamp people, but I'm going to call them swamp things. Uh, they're harassing the... the um, Swamp trash. Swamp trash, yeah. <laughs> uh, goddamn swamp rats. Um, but yeah, they're harassing the uh, Ironborn with like poison arrows and, do- and darts and shit. So like, they're getting sick because they can't leave the castle because they're getting harassed by a guerrilla army um, that's Jojen Reed's family's... Uh, joint or whatever but those people don't have enough you know army to like join i guess ned stark's rebellion when it happened i have no idea anyway uh basically if you want to get your large army south or north you have to go through this very tight choke point which uh, i feel like they did a poor job of displaying it on the tv show um well you know what i thought the actual like the shot of uh the the entrance to boat kalen i thought it looked pretty cool yeah i guess um, it had kind of almost a Mad Max vibe where they're going through the, the swamps. I definitely liked uh, it when they got closer as opposed to like the um, the wide shot. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I, that's that's more what I'm referring to. Okay. So. Yeah. I did. I did like the fact that they you know made it look like a swamp with all the you know the fog and it was you know pretty gross. Uh, so I give them uh, hats off to you guys for that. But um, yeah, um, this is a nice scene. I thought Dion, whatever his name is, um, the guy of the the brother of the rapper. Alfie Allen? Yes. Alfie Allen did a great job of acting here. So with him starting to crack up, um, it was nice. I didn't I didn't yeah. hate the scene. Let's say that. No, I, and this is also, I mean, I think it's important to the show. So uh, even when the scene's not the most fun or interesting, when it's critical to the, the show or the advancements of the characters, I mean, I don't think you can complain too much about it. No, so, but we're going to do that for no. the next uh, 45 minutes. Yeah. No, so yeah, I thought this was a decent scene. Cool. Just a little bit uh, over-the-top grossness on the Flayed Man for my tastes. Yeah, um, I thought it looked goofy. I mean, there's a lot of things that... <laughs> there's one really goofy part towards the end I'll, I'll point out. Um, 
you know, we're, uh, we'll get there. Okay, so uh, next we move on. <laughs> Littlefinger is being questioned by the Lords of the Vale. Um, you know, it's the people versus uh, Littlefinger here. And he tries <laughs> to use uh, flattery, saying that the, gu- you know, the glove don't fit. Um, but his reputation precedes himself um, as a lapdog to the Lannisters and somebody who can't be trusted. Um, He's a grubby man. <laughs> grubby man, yeah. I mean, there's, they're shitting all over. What's, what's actually kind of nice about this is it's just the, the rich people <clears throat> pissing all over people. Uh, Peter Baelish because he comes from a shitty house. Yeah. Like he's just on the barely on this side of nobility. Uh and even though he's, you know, a lord in uh, you know, paper only because he has is the lord of Harrenhal, uh they still don't respect him. No, absolutely not. But uh they say that the uh, whole situation is highly suspect since uh Peter just showed up, they got married right away and now she's dead and he's trying to cl- pick up the uh, insurance claim. Um so he is completely incompetent with swaying their opinion, and they ask to talk to the girl, Elaine, who is a.k.a. Sansa Lannister, uh, and she's brought in, um, and there's a big buildup as to whether she'll sell out uh, Peter and I or not, but, you know, for some reason she defends him. Uh, she says, indeed, he is a piece of shit, uh, but he is telling the truth, you know, you know, he saved me, Lace, Lace, uh, you know, whatever, she killed herself, blah, 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 I don't know. Uh, basically taking Littlefinger's side, uh, he gets their, uh, she gets their sympathy by relating her torment at the hands of the Lannisters, who these people don't like the Lannisters because they think that the Lannisters killed Robert Aaron because that's what Lysa believed. So she immediately gets them on their side. So this is Sansa being like a, you know, a baller manipulator. Um, and like the, you know, all good lies, this one's filled with a bunch of truth. Um but I think it just goes on a little bit too long. She basically recaps the entire story for the past four seasons. Uh, and then once they leave, Littlefinger walks uh, with two of the Inquisitors, uh, and they pal around. They apologize for calling him, what is it, grubby or? Yeah, grubby man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little grubby finger- task for a grubby man in to the money counter. <laughs> All right. So that's awful. Uh, Littlefinger questions uh, their courage for sitting on the sidelines during this uh, War of the Five Kings. Uh, and basically just trying to get them used to the idea of using their military might again. You know, just yeah, basically questioning their manhood. Saying, we haven't been to war for a while. You guys are a bunch of pussies. Basically just getting them used to, he even brings up the idiot titsucker on how that they should enforce his will. And we all know that Littlefinger can easily manipulate the idiot titsucker. So basically it'll be enforcing Littlefinger's will. Yeah, um... It's kind of surprising that these uh, lords and ladies are not more suspicious of. Them. I mean, I guess they have to buy it from Sansa, but um, I, you know, I really thought. I remember watching this initially. I really thought he was in trouble here, and I never really understood why he did that in front of Sansa without talking to her first. Because I mean, this is like one of the most cunning people in Westeros. Why didn't he have a plan to dispatch her? without having a witness there who could potentially turn on him? I, I never only, understood that. The only uh, theory I have is that he's a very methodical, practical person, but when it comes to Catelyn and her daughter, who's her new replacement, uh, he is acting emotionally, and he saw an opportunity to remove her with no witnesses, and he took it. Um, in the books, this doesn't play out nearly, like, Littlefinger isn't nearly as incompetent. I think Sansa does save his bacon, but he's, you know, not totally inept like he is here. Like, it, yeah, it's, it's made out bizarre. like... It's made out like he's a complete fucking idiot, and he didn't think this through at all. Yeah, which, I mean, that's the last thing you would expect from him. I mean, unless he's just so tired of her. But, you know, when he did do that push, uh, it's not like he was in a rage or emotional or, I mean, it seemed just as calculated as ever. Um, So it's kind of odd. Well, he was definitely going to get rid of her. I just I think he was an opportunist and saw the moment. I don't know. 
I guess. Um, yeah, and I'm concerned now though that Sweet Robin will starve now that he doesn't have that uh, that Lysa booby. Uh, yeah. What is he gonna do? I don't know. I don't Sans' know. turn. New mommy. Oh god, that's disgusting. Yeah, but these people are complete rubes. I, I this the number of coincidences and. Um, Right. It just seems like it's a bridge too far. I would, I would think. think it'd be a, a stay of execution, maybe, and like we mm-hmm. have to investigate more. Let's not kill Littlefinger right now. Let's put lock him up for a little while and figure this out. But no, it's just like okay, that's over. Let's go home. Let's break for lunch. You know? Yeah, and then and then right away, Littlefinger's trying to get them into a war. Like, right. <laughs> I mean, what else does he need to do to right. to show that he's uh, probably not on the up and up? I don't know. If there is anything else he could have done. Right. But. Um, <laughs> But whatever. I mean, it's yeah. it just it just gets us past the whole he killed Liza thing. Now let's move on. He's he's yeah. scot free. Yeah, and this this scene was fine. I, yeah. I, I didn't not have any not terrible. Yeah. So next we return to I think we're Marine or we're somewhere over in Essos. Um, the crucified slaves are being removed while Selmy overlooks uh, the process. A former slave child gives Selmy a scroll, which he reads. Uh, you can tell it's bad news. Selmy goes to see Jorah and hands him the scroll. They then reveal that it is the royal pardon signed by Robert Baratheon. Selmy accuses Jorah of spying, which Jorah kind of deflects and doesn't say whether or not. Uh, Selmy has apparently not told Danny yet, but he intends to. Jorah wants to speak to Danny alone, but Sel- Selmy says that the uh, no way, Jorge. So we transition to uh, Danny on the throne. Uh, Danny asks Jorah why the usurper pardoned him. Jorah attempts to deflect, blaming Tywin, saying that Tywin's attempting to split us up. Jorah then confesses that he sent letters to Varys about the goings-on of Danny, uh, And then Danny brings up the wine incident, uh, that she was almost poisoned uh, based on the letters from Jorah. <clears throat> uh, Danny then excoriates uh, Jorah, while Jorah attempts to show them that he has been loyal to Danny. Uh, Danny nonetheless exiles Jorah. Giving him to uh, to sundown to skedaddle, and then we get a shot of uh, Jorah riding his horse out of town by himself. Sadly, Aww. what's the like? They did it in Peanuts, and they referred to it in uh, what was it? Um, Arrested Development with yeah. the Charlie Brown music. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been actually. I'd like to see that. <laughs> yeah, we can put it on. Hey, somebody put it on YouTube. Uh, yeah. One of our loyal fans. Yeah, I'm surprised nobody's done that. Well, uh, you know what? It's the inter- the internet's out there, so somebody probably has it. Probably, uh, and once again, this isn't topical anymore. We're talking about a TV show that aired <laughs> three years ago now. Fuck. Yeah. Okay, so uh, yeah, one thing I want to say about this, I hate this. Is remember how I've already criticized them for lazy writing? Here's another example. So at one point, uh, Barrison says, or not Barrison, uh, Jorah says, "Who gave this to you?" And he says, "Does it matter?" Uh, yeah. I'm going to start referring like anytime you ask anybody ask me a question, I'm going to respond like that. Go ahead, ask me a question. Uh, why are you so awful? Does it matter? It works. Yeah, it kind of does. I'm concerned. Okay, so, but but this, this was exact line was said by uh, Cersei and the Mountain last week. Mm-hmm. You know, she he says, who am I fighting? And she says, does it matter? So this is just fucking lazy writing. Also, uh, in the book, Barrison knows the whole time that Jorah was spying because Barrison was in the small council meeting, so they were talking yeah. about it all the time. Uh, but this is different from the books because Barrison was also hiding his identity from Danny for a while. He was pretending to be uh, the squire of Strong Bellwas, which is basically the baddest oh, motherfucker gosh, in the world. Yeah, I'm so pissed they didn't, they didn't include him. But basically, he's pretending to be like some lowly squire. And 
when he's he basically announces himself and sells out Jorah at the same time. So Danny hates them both, and she makes both of them enter the sewers of Marine to take the city initially. Not Grey Worm that we saw a couple episodes back. It's these two fuckers, and they take the city. And she forgives Barristan because he was just like pretending not to be somebody. He was just kind of withholding information. Well, as Jorah was actively giving uh, the enemy. Uh, information which put her baby's life in danger so she's having none of that shit so that's a little bit of yeah, a rant there i, 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 I didn't didn't like I, I do you understand why the child handed the pardon to sell me uh once again i think it's what uh jorah <laughs> said it's tywin lannister uh causing um discord amongst their group and uh do you think Tywin even said that in a small council meeting like a week or two back? Like he's like, we need to write, send a letter to, uh, you know, write a letter, and it was alluded to. So, and they know huh. that Barrison is with Danny because okay. the spider tells him. Well, that makes sense, I guess. Um, that definitely wasn't obvious um, to me, at least. No, I don't think it was. Uh, but yeah, that's it. I mean, no more Jorah. He was a creep, like, uh, and they they kind of downplayed how much of a creep he was in the. Um, <laughs> In the show, he definitely like tries to feel on her, and in the book, she wears like a local custom dress, which uh, shows one boob because that's what the the fancy women in that town do. And he just can't stop looking at her boob. Uh, and <laughs> unlike Miss Sandy, she's not into a creeper just staring at her. Um, yeah. Weird. I don't understand that. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, fuck fuck Jorah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of surprised that she. Um I mean, I know this follows the books, but that she wasn't more, uh, didn't pass a harsher sentence other than exiling him. I mean, you would think that she would have him straight murdered for treason, uh, but uh, I guess not. Well, they say that hell is the absence of the presence of God, so maybe that's what she's doing to him. But I would think being burned alive would be much worse. <laughs> yeah, <I'd laughs> right. Say so. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so let's see where we go. So Ramsey uh, presents Roos with a Kraken banner on a hill, uh, says he has delivered Moat Kalen, uh, and Roos wants a private word with his bastard son so he can give him a geography lesson about the size of the north. Um, you know, and then he says, uh, he then gives uh, Ramsey legitimacy. Uh, he's a Bolton now in uh, truth and name, not a snow. So he's just legitimized them, basically undone. Uh, you know, facts basically rewrote history. Uh, now he's a legitimate son somehow, uh, because the royal the king said so. King Tommen stamped it. Uh, but the combined armies do get together and they march towards Winterfell. And um, uh, Reek asks, "Are we going home now?" And he said, "Yes, our new home." And we could see that they're going to Winterfell, so it's very ominous. Yay! He did it. Yeah, <laughs> our little boys all growing up. Um. Yeah, this again, another scene where uh, wasn't that interesting or that great, but uh, very necessary to the show. I did think, and they didn't really explain this in the show very well, and I didn't know this until reading a little bit about this episode. It's interesting the uh, the lords cannot personally pardon or uh, pardons not to legitimize their bastard sons. Right. Instead, they actually have to obtain permission from the presiding king. Right. So I think they kind of hinted at it once or twice here in the show, but. That's interesting to me because uh, that indicates that uh, potentially as part of the negotiations with the Lannisters, Ramsay was had this in the works because he couldn't just, you know, he had, he had to go get the royal permission. So That's maybe true. that was part of the um, That's very part, true. Of, part of the negotiations uh, involved in the Red Wedding. So 
interesting stuff. Not that I'm not sure that really makes a big difference, but I do like those kinds of details. I do too, and uh, I feel like they in the books they do a good job of explaining how desperately uh, Ramsey wants to be made legitimate, and how he hates being called a bastard or using his last name Snow. He's repulsed mm-hmm. by it because he he doesn't like the facts of his uh, station. Uh, but they did mention it uh, at, at one point where he sent Locke up and said, uh, Locke, the character who gets killed by Bran Warging Hodor in the north, that he mm-hmm. said that he, he kind of jiggled these keys in front of uh, Ramsey and said, if you do this, I'll, I might be able to reward you with this thing. So it happened. So once again, I did the thing. Yay. Yeah. Okay. okay, so next, uh, Littlefinger goes to visit Sansa in her room post-trial where she is knitting. Littlefinger recalls the first time seeing her as a child and then creepily remarks she's not a child anymore. Uh, Littlefinger then asks why she helped him out, and it's apparently because of the uncertainty if she did not help him out. Uh, they use the phrase, the devil you know, uh, in the scene. Littlefinger asks Sansa if uh, she thinks he knows her or she knows him. She says that she knows what he wants, and uh, we're beginning to see the emergence of the shrewd Sansa here. Um, and I think that the uh, he knows what he wants. Uh, the the show guys D and D in the the aftermath uh, <laughs> the interviews describe how it's, it's that that Sansa now knows that Littlefinger is uh, her, her Littlefinger's nerve is the is her mother, and also kind of her as a a proxy for her mother, but right. I believe that's kind of horseshit because we know that Littlefinger uh, pledges to have her married to Roose Bolt or Ramsay Bolton. So, so yeah, his uh, love doesn't extend uh, beyond the reach of his uh, ambition, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's also it's kind of shitty too because now we we get it a little bit more uh, on the screen later when she emerges in her bird dress. Uh, but this is supposed to be like this new shrewd, tough Sansa. There's hope for her, and then that's completely destroyed next season. Yeah, well, well uh, I was like going to say that. Awful. I was going to save that, but uh, yeah, let's talk yeah. about it now. Fuck it, because let's just do the next uh, scene, too, um, where uh, she comes down in the black dress. I think you had that one. Just run yeah, that real so quick Robin and, and Littlefinger are in the throne room. Uh, Sweet Robin is scared to leave the veil. Littlefinger implores Sweet Robin to grow a pair. Uh, Sansa then emerges in a sexy bird dress. <laughs> Uh, which is meant to let us know she's a new woman, which will uh, go awry next season. Yeah, uh, yeah, just Littlefinger trying to manipulate uh, the idiot Sid Sucker. That's about it. And then this this whole through line with Sansa that gets shit on. Very disappointing. I mean, she definitely takes a backsliding. Uh, obviously, it's through no fault of her own, uh, but she gets tortured and raped and becomes a mouse again. So like, this is this doesn't pay off at all. She might as well just remained a meek. Uh, girl at this point no it's weird that they had the up and down like that instead of just an up arc um and i, I don't i really don't like that uh from well this hasn't happened in the book yet so we have no idea uh if this yeah. will come to pass but it's not likely since um ramsey marries um a girl parading as Arya stark in the book yes so this hopefully sansa doesn't get raped because it's fucking awful it, it really was one of the low points of this fucking entire shameful uh Endeavor that is this shitty show, uh, Game of Thrones, that we love to hate. Yeah, uh, that was really disgusting. We'll get there eventually, but yeah, unfortunately, yeah. we will. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, I did like the uh, if if we're just watching it in real time, you know, I did like the emergence of Sansa, and she does seem to kind of be putting it all together. Uh, new players entered the game, right. of Thrones. 
which is, I mean, that's really interesting. And I, I mean, I'd like that arc in general because she was kind of the stupid spoiled child. Right. And it's kind of put it all together because she needs to, to survive and to bring back the Stark some degree of legitimacy or rule again. But they just shit on it later so yeah. much that it's, 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 uh, it's annoying now because you've got kind of this false narrative or at least you know it's going to go away quite a bit. And it's not until she's fucking raped and beaten until she actually emerges as a, a tough woman, um, which, you know, that might even go away later. And Yeah, who knows? And a lot of her strength is probably derived in later episodes, it seems like, from uh, her association with Brienne as well. Uh, you know, she's not willing, she doesn't stand up to Peter until Brienne is there to back her up. So, yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of real flaws in this that I don't like. But I will say, I, I could have been avoided. I agree with you 100% and say that th- for this episode, Sansa had, dare I say, a great storytelling arc. She basically came, you thought she was going to be the weak little girl. She comes out, she basically manipulates, sings a song for these people and saves his ass. He confronts her later in her bedroom. She tells him why, and she's aware of the sexual. Uh, frustration or the weird intimacy that they have going on and then she comes down ready to party in a black dress I I know that sounds really simple but like it's a through line we check in on her three times and she progresses each time Uh, I think this was great storytelling it just you're right it just fucking gets it's all for not uh, for next season Mm -hmm. okay all right so So where do we go next so we got Arya and the Hound they're walking along Arya regrets not being able to kill Joffrey or at least uh, watch him die which is nice um and as they plod along, uh, the hound is complaining about his bite. He's not walking as well. He seems bothered by it. He's getting weaker, etc. Uh, but they are approaching the bloody gate, so they're getting close to the veil, the entrance to the veil and the eerie. Uh, when Arya and the bloody hound get close uh, enough to announce themselves, uh, they are told that Lysa Aaron died three days ago. Uh, this is too much for Arya. She busts the bust a nut, uh, or what do you got? Bust a gut. Sorry. Um, <laughs> You know, oh, Freudian slip. I no, guess. Consider editing that. No, one, hell no. That's 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 natural. All right. So, so she cracks up. She LOLs, and uh, everybody else is disturbed by this, including the guard and the hound. Um, I always had a problem with this when I first watched it because this doesn't happen in the um the book. Why would they let her leave? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know that I buy her reaction. Right. Um, because I mean. She's boned now, you know, because now she her her salvation was going to be to be with her aunt, and now that's gone. So she just laughs seemingly in mocking the hound, which I don't understand. I, you know, she should realize the gravity of her situation now because she's even more fucked. Um, so yeah, it's, I guess it's show invention just nonsense. Fight. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. Um, but yeah, so a person I, this uh, valuable shows up. You invite them in for dinner or something. Uh, and you know, and the you know, Arya should still she probably has better chance of going with these strangers that were friends with her aunt than being with the Hound, right? Yeah, and why wouldn't they summon the Lord of the Vale? To right. I mean, I, I just don't understand. It doesn't make uh, any sense. It's it's no. this whole thing was meant to build up to this one scene, and it really doesn't pay off, does it? No, it doesn't. And when you consider it from the uh, from a, a, a zoomed out scale, I mean, God, we spent a lot of time with Arya and the Hound to get here, and this is it. Um, I mean, I guess it's meant to show the frustration and they have a path in mind, but it just seems kind of silly. And one of the things that they tend to do on this show, and I believe on purpose, is they do a, they make up a lot of stuff and put a lot of effort into something that just turns out to be nothing. Right. It's fun. just a, a just for one like little payoff laugh, maybe. Maybe that somebody cracks a little giggle at Arya laughing at her terrible uh, 
Well, even right. they, they, I think they purposefully destroy plot lines after building them up just to throw the to the watchers off, which I think is something that George R. R. Martin does as well. Um, I, it's just that that plan. I understand the purpose of it, but it's also kind of uh, not satisfying as a watcher. Right, usurping my expectations is fine if you usurp them with something better or uh, at least engaging, and it's it's not happening. Yeah. All right, so let's move on. Uh, then we cut back to the last half of the little finger scene, which we just did with Sansa coming down with the uh, bird, Birdman outfit. Uh, and then we are taken to Jamie and Tyrion. Jamie is visiting Tyrion. He brings some wine. Uh, Tyrion is rightfully nervous about what's going to happen, uh, which is the trial. It's going to go down. Tyrion proceeds to go on a long, rambling uh, fucking tirade about cousin Orson <sighs> Lannister, in which we get we are treated to um, uh, intimate. <laughs> Imitations of people with Down syndrome by both of our characters that we love. So, yeah, oh, I, guess, God, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, I guess if uh, it's okay for Trump to do, he can get elected. Uh, you know, Jamie can do it too. Fuck it. Uh, so they first, uh, so they make fun of him and they do this thing. Orson was, I guess, a Lannister cousin who was uh, dim-witted and he just liked to smash Beatles with a rock all day long. Uh, Tyrion wanted to know why Orson did this, uh, and then compares that. Um, uh, you know, basically compares the the kid to uh, like an animal at some point. Like he was studying him like a National Geographic um, project, like trying to learn why he did it. Became obsessed with him, um, but just didn't understand the destruction. You know, they were just beetles, but still, it was mindless, uh, wanton destruction. Uh, he tried to stop him, but he wasn't big enough because Orson, you know, wasn't a dwarf, and I guess he was rather large. Eventually, Orson was killed by a mule, but he never stopped. And it has always bothered Tyrion. Um, uh, he just didn't understand all the suffering. And he asked Jamie, "What's it all about?" And Jamie responds with standard jock philosophy, like, "It is what it is, bro." Uh, so Jamie doesn't know anything either. Uh, then Jamie pieces out, wishing his brother good luck, uh, and uh, that ends the scene. Um, I remember watching this the first time and being so frustrated that this was going on. I was just like looking at the clock. And I could see how much time was left on the episode, and I was like, get to the fucking battle. Get to it. Um, yeah, it's like a four-minute speech. Uh, I mean, I, I understand the, the symbolism of it. It's supposed to illustrate the random cruelty of the world, but uh, don't we already know that? Uh, it just, I don't, just, this is silly. I don't, yeah. what's the point? I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. It's frustrating. It's really frustrating, and I, I, I just don't understand the length. And um, do you think yeah, they were trying I, I to do out. what you said, uh, usurp uh, expectations, by like yeah. making it really dark, and then you know when they, there's this uptick in the battle, we're really on board and thinking everything's going to be okay. I don't. I'm know. sorry. Would you repeat that? I was saying that. Uh, do you think they're just trying to usurp expectations by making this really dire, so we think that Tyrion's really in trouble, and then he's, you know, there's an uptick in the battle later, and we're like, oh yeah, everything's gonna work out all right, and then they punch us in the gut. That's the only explanation I can think for this, but the the length was just out of control. Yeah, agree, absolutely. Don't understand the point of the scene, uh, and I mean, Tyrion kind kind of pulls it off because he's a good actor, but I agree. Gosh, if it was a uh, a lesser actor, this would have been a turd sandwich for sure yeah, and, but even it still was kind of a at least a turd snack yeah absolutely little turd nugget <clears throat> sure turd okay. divorce um okay anything else to say about that scene no I'm, I'm ready to move on because it was awful yeah so Tyrion exits to see to go to the battle he sees oberon oberon is drinking and apparently just wearing a dress to the fight yeah uh, oberon remarks that today is not the day he will die full of hubris 
you knew it was going to happen. Uh, <clears throat> Grandmaster Pycelle makes a speech and a prayer, which is uh, mercifully interrupted due to its length. Oberon um, talks to the Sand Skank, says he will not make sure not to leave her alone in this world. Oberon puts on a little dance show, and the fight begins. Uh, Oberon is, uh, begins accusing the mountain of murder and the rape of his family and his sister uh, throughout the battle. Oberon uh, repeats this over and over throughout the battle and appears to get the upper hand, including uh, landing a few shots here and there, eventually uh, knocking the, the mountain over and stabbing him really good through the chest. And uh, then uh, Oberon goes into um, – he continues to, to allow the mountain to live while insisting that the mountain uh, confesses crimes. And he also asks who the mountain – gave the mountain the order – Appointing to Tyrion, Mount, the Mount is able to uh, knock uh, Oberon over and then smashes his head, thus winning the battle. Uh, Tywin passes out, passes on the death sentence to Tyrion while Cersei smirks and Tyrion is flabbergasted. Tough to describe this scene because it is I mean, yeah. primarily action It's based. all action. Yeah. They did a um, good job. Yeah. So that's the scene. Pretty gross. Yeah. I <laughs> Looking back on it, knowing what's a, what I was expecting, Tyrion's like, astonishment like oh what like it was yeah. uh very comical like uh, it didn't come across well and in the moment like seeing it for the first time obviously you were shocked so i forgave it but it is kind of goofy um uh, my favorite part of the scene is jamie's reaction to uh over and dancing and and doing his shimmy and and spinning around yeah. and cutting the jamie's just looking around like can you believe this guy this is pretty cool Check yeah jamie had some really goofy faces during right. this uh, scene yeah, I liked it though. I was like, "This is this seems like a, a douchey thing to do." Uh, just some minor things that I liked uh, about in the book a little better. I think when he pins him to the ground, like he, that the mountain is kind of stuck in the ground, and I feel like he kills Oberon like by bringing him down on the broken staff, like on top of him or something like that. In addition to poking his eyes out and breaking his head apart, um, and I did like uh, in the book Tyrion pukes, which I think would have been fucking awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it might have been over the top for the screen after seeing the head smash. Yeah. yeah. And during the scene, uh, there's like a stable boy who gets killed because he's just, you know, there's no like ring. It's just a, re- it's like a ring of people, like a fucking schoolyard fight. So yeah. like there's just a stable boy hanging out and Oberon ducks and this kid, teenager, gets cut in half by uh, <laughs> fucking the mountain. Um, so it's even more brutal. Um, but uh, I mean, how do you feel? Like, yes, this was gross, but was it shocking? Like, did you read the books at this point when you saw the this episode? Uh, no, I don't believe I have. It was shocking, and you know, I I think you know I've got a little bit weaker stomach than you when it comes to the gore. Uh, I did not appreciate it, but uh, <laughs> but the uh, the sound effect is just ridiculous. The sound effect is absolutely oh, ridiculous. Yeah. No, I, I I I did not watch it today. I mean, I had it on, but I looked away from the screen when that was going on, right? Because uh, I. You know, I can watch it, but it's just, I don't want to. Yeah, and plus, uh, it, I mean, a head wouldn't explode like that. I think it would just like, yeah. kind of lapse. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But that wouldn't be uh, shocking enough, I don't think. I guess not. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I didn't mind this episode uh, when we first started talking about it, but now I kind of hate it. So, I'm going to go with yeah. a 2.0. That's the exact uh, rating I would give it as well. Wow. Just, just blah. Not, nothing really great, I didn't think. Um, and the only thing that saved it is that there were a few things that happened that are critical of the story, but a lot of just nonsense and uh, stupid show invention and uh, boring, pointless stuff. So, 
I remember Just like really this podcast. Yeah, it's boring. Why would you listen? Thanks <laughs> for uh, downloading and liking us on uh, <laughs> Facebook and reviewing our podcast on iTunes. But no, I, I remember reading this in the books and finding it thrilling uh, because I kind of liked Oberon, but I wasn't too invested with him. But it was still like it was just well written. I think it was written better as a battle than it was filmed. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think this is kind of thing where I, the, your imagination is better than what right. uh, they put on the screen. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, and I think that part of it was just to be a we want to go out on a shocking moment um, as they tend to do. But um, meh, 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 meh. Yeah, and that's disappointing. Hopefully, we'll get next week. Yeah. Okay. So, um, next week is the penultimate episode of season four, season uh, four, episode nine, uh, in which we have the assault on the wall, which was pretty cool from what I remember. I guess. Um, yeah. It's it's shot by the same guy um, who did the Blackwater, I believe. Like he's a movie director. I can't remember his name, um, but he does good shit. So. Uh, at least from a filmmaking uh, perspective, next week should be pretty good. I don't know about the uh, dialogue or anything like that, but uh, yeah. we'll see. I've been disappointed with this season. I don't know about you. Agreed. I think I, my expectations were a little bit too high. I agree with you. All right. Well, there's nothing else. I guess uh, we will <laughs> see. It. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you you could tell we really didn't bring it for this podcast, guys. We're sorry. I'm a little sick. Uh, but uh, thank you for listening anyway. Uh, my name is Doug. Brian, say goodbye. Bye. See you next Tuesday.